Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 39. I am your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always, every week, is Polish virtuoso Mitchell Davis. What's up? Yeah. Kiss me, I'm Polish. <laughs> how's it going? I'm I'm good, man. It's good to hear from you. How's how things going with you? Uh, good, good. Um, you know, looking forward to getting into the stuff this uh, this week, and uh, we've got three very diverse artists, I guess. Say, oh, yeah. uh, this week, uh, the first one is Sunny Chillingsworth, uh, kind of Hawaiian slack key guitarist singer um then we have romantic composer pianist frederick chopin and uh his various interpreters we can talk about them when we come to the albums and then uh we have three albums of chopin to talk about and then the uh, last album this week is electric guitar innovator charlie christian um so yeah, cool stuff this week, and we can just get right into it if that's cool. Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's start with uh, Sonny Chillingsworth, his album "Endlessly," released in 1999. I'm I'm guessing this is a uh, like a compilation. Yeah, he was dead at this point. Um, he uh, lived from uh, 1932 to 1994 is when he passed away, and uh, yeah, Sonny Chillingsworth, you know, native Hawaiian. Um, and developed this uh, slack key guitar style um, mixed with sort of a native Hawaiian music. Um, I don't know, man, how would you describe this? It's almost like really old country, like uh, like Roy Rogers or something. Uh, yeah, but, but I, with- there's, there's kind of like a mix of... of, of- of, of country, um, you know, definitely, you know, some of the local flavor, you know, in, in the vocal. And I would say even some Spanish flavor, um, a little bit where the, the guitar is concerned. Um, yeah, this, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, unique to, I guess what you would say, you know, the Hawaiian sound is, especially the older Hawaiian sound, um, you know, not as, 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 as polished as, as some of the, you know, you know, electric sounding Hawaiian music that you hear nowadays, you know, people go on vacation, you know, have all the, you know, different ideas of what, what they hear in right. Hawaii, I guess. But, um, you know, definitely had a, you know, an interesting style of, of guitar playing, like you said earlier, the, the slack key uh, style of playing where it, it, it almost sounds like at times to me almost like two guitarists playing along side each other with the, I guess the, the the bass part of the guitar I guess the guitar string and and then the higher strings playing like you know almost different parts if that makes sense right no it makes and, total sense yeah yeah and and then his vocals you know it, you know it's definitely it's like a, a native language and it's almost like a crooning you know style and the, and the guy obviously you know it seemed like he had 
you know, influenced, you know, from older players, you know, from very young age where he, he kind of took a tradition of the, you know, old Hawaiian folk style and then just kind of brought it into, you know, what he had. Right, uh, right. So. Yeah, yeah. We're going to start off with this piece, uh, Moana Chimes, I guess. And then uh, there's a Hawaiian title, Pa'ahana, I guess. Yeah, um, that, that sounds that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, basically it's an instrumental guitar piece, and this really showcases you know what slack key is. You know, it's like what is slack key guitar? This is slack key guitar. Um, it's like you said, featuring this melody and accompaniment style, where the accompaniment is this almost umpa sort of sort of bass accompaniment with uh, you know uh, melody you know in the upper part um syncopated and that's 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 really what this is i mean this is pure slack key right here just no vocals just instrumental just uh sunny and his guitar um what did you think of this track that's very laid back uh you know probably represented the spirit of what was going on in in hawaii uh you know just kind of mellow and pretty um smooth and, and you know easy I mean it, it just probably just you know I mean I've never been to Hawaii so you know but I mean I, I'd imagine you know when you're on the island I mean this is what it feels like and I mean the like I said the, the style of playing where it, it, it it's like you know two guitars playing you know alongside each other but really it's one you know that that's really cool the way they they that style of, of harmony in that in that guitar slack key style of playing is you know sort of represented here um you know and i i i never really knew what that was i mean i, I think i kind of heard that term but i i you know until i sat here and listened to this i you know i, I really didn't know you know somebody's you know what slack key playing i i i wouldn't have had the slightest idea you know but but now i have a much better idea you know? right right yeah let's check this out this first track from uh, Sonny Chillingsworth. This is Moana Chimes.
And we just heard Moana Chimes' Pa'ahana from Sonny Chillingsworth. And we're going to move on to his song, Hilo Hanakahi. <laughs> um, this is, uh, you know, a song where he sings. So he plays a guitar accompaniment um, much like we heard in Moana Chimes. But in this time, he's uh, singing a vocal. Uh, it's sung in Hawaiian. So I don't know what he's saying. Um, but yeah, slack key guitar, you know, it's very evocative music. It's almost like, you know, brings up this image of just a, a nice, warm, beautiful Hawaiian night with the waves rolling in. You're just sitting there enjoying it all and nothing's rushed. And it's just kind of, like you said, low key. And yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of this one? Yeah. Again, just, you know, very laid back, you know, uh, you know, in his delivery and, and, and just kind of, kind of crooning and, 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 and almost, you know, reflective in the, in the sound of his voice. And, and then that, that, that same guitar style is there, you know, you know, very easy to like, and, and, and very easy to, to kind of get into. I mean, you know, he, he just seems like someone who's, you know, been doing this for a good long time. I mean, I guess he started playing, you know, with his, um, his grandfather, I guess, when he was much younger, um, before he actually moved to, uh, like the actual, I guess, the main Hawaiian island where you grew up on Oahu, with one of the smaller islands on the outside, and then I guess he, you know, once he kind of moved into the, you know, the the bigger islands or the city of, of Hawaii, you know, he he began to learn from the some of the other guys in nightclubs and stuff, and and at very young age seemed to you know be taught the the inner workings of hawaiian music and i mean that's what it sounds like he just sounds like one of those guys that's just been doing this you know steady for so long you know and yeah. just really relaxing um you know and i that, i love that voice he, he almost he's this vibration in his voice you know when he when he sings you know just like i said just a great crooning sound to his right. voice right now, uh, I do have one criticism of this album. Okay. And you can, uh, you know, you can uh, dispute me or whatever. Now, I have to say, I have to qualify this by saying this is the only Sonny Chillingsworth record I've ever heard. You know, I've, I, he put out a lot of records. So, you know, this is the only one I've ever heard. But, uh, you know, after listening through the whole record, uh, you know, multiple times, I just kind of felt like, you heard one song, you've kind of heard them all. Hmm. Uh, it's all yeah. very similar to very, very similar to me. That that could be, you know, you know, given to a lot of genres, too. I mean, Hawaiian music, let's say like let's let's pick on Zydeco music for a minute. I mean, you have a lot of Zydeco artists that that may kind of have a song that, you know, one song kind of sounds like the other. Uh, and it just depends on the artist, I guess, you know. Yeah. And this is just one collection, you know. Yeah, it is just one collection. I mean, it didn't, I, I didn't get that sense at all when we went, like, with the Clifton Chenier album that we heard. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it, de- it depends on the artist. I yeah. mean, that's, it's not really fair to compare those two, I guess. But but Clifton is, to me, was he was bigger than just a, a, a Zydeco or a Louisiana-type artist. I mean, that that's what he was. But, I mean, he was just an, an amazing musician, you know, beyond that genre on its own i mean 
he could just jam, you know. And I, I'm I'm sensing that for what Sonny had, you know, what he brought to the table. I mean, you know, he he was he was pretty good on his own. I mean, but just much more laid back. I mean, you know, I, I don't I know there's no real, you know, aggressive or loud, you know, sounding music here. It's it's all pretty, you know, pretty down to earth, you know, pretty pretty kind of straightforward when it comes to the I guess the laid back style of, of Hawaii, you know, which like I said, depends on, I guess, you know, who you talk to, you know, right? because I mean, right. they, they mentioned so many other people, you know, as, as they, they bring up, uh, you know, names here and there about who, who influenced him uh, on uh, some of the other titles here with Gabby Pahinuru. I, I know I'm probably saying that wrong. You know, I mean, if we listen to his music, it could be totally, you know, totally different. So, you know, it's just one of those things, I guess, where this is just, it's just one collection. And it, and it could have been, you know, a collection of songs that he had already recorded and, and then maybe, you know, re-recorded for one one sitting. I kind of have to look at that. I'd like to look at that, actually, right. because well, the, I, yeah. I don't I don't know if it's all like like you said, like hits from various years or if right. it's just a bunch of songs that he just decided hey i've already done these you know before but i'm gonna redo them again for this this one album you know right yeah and that's why i added the the qualifier there but i mean i you know because like i admit I, I completely and totally uh recognize that uh you know i've heard only a very small fraction of this guy's output but yeah. you know that from from hearing that one album this one album that's that's kind of the, that was my one criticism was like these these kind of all sound the same but uh, yeah. you know it's just me someone out there is going to be pissed that I said that sure. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, mail from Hawaii <laughs> dude I, I, yeah I'm going to get a bunch of mail from Hawaii now um, so uh, let's let's check out this last track from uh, Sonny Chillingsworth his album Endlessly this is Hilo Hanakahi
we just heard Hilo Hanakahi from Sunny Chillingsworth. I'm going to move on to kind of the, the major segment of this show, three albums of music by Frederick Chopin. Um, we're going to start with... Uh, oh, man, I didn't write it down. Uh, this the, looks like a... Sorry, go I, ahead. Ballads in, or Ballades and... Scherzos, I, I I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. it's ballads and scherzos. Okay, right. um, I was closer on the second than the first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, by uh, pianist Arthur Rubinstein. Um, a little bit about Chopin. I mean, Chopin's influence on on uh, not just classical music but on music is really huge. Um, he had a a very storied and very uh, pretty short life. Uh, we'll go through it all because it, it would take a while to, you know, we're not going to do a whole biography <clears throat> on uh, Chopin, but uh, we can say he was born in uh, 1810 in Poland. He died in 1849 in France and, uh, you know, at the age of 39. So uh, wasn't very old. He uh, apparently they think he had a sort of a form of uh, tuberculosis, uh, which was a huge problem even up, you know, into the 20th century. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, died at just 39. You know, the amount of music that he produced and the quality of music that he produced in such a short time uh, is pretty amazing. Um, but, uh, yeah, Chopin was, uh, he was Polish. Uh, at, at a young age, he moved to France and he moved to Paris because that's kind of where you went in the 19th century, you know, if you were a musician. Um, it was, you know, Paris was the cultural center of Europe. It was kind of like New York City um, in a way, you know, now. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where that's where you went. Um, and, you know, he that's where they all went. You know, uh, that's where. Paganini went and that's where Franz Liszt went and you know the Schumanns spent a lot of time there and uh, a lot of the great performers and uh, conductors you know that that's where the center of everything was writers painters um, etc um, and uh, you know that's where he wrote well a lot of these pieces, uh, the the pieces, the ballads. I'm not sure. I think I think these pieces were written uh, in France for the most part. I know the the concertos were written in Poland, but uh, you know he re- he retained that Polish uh, identity. You know his whole life, <clears throat> and he was one of the early composers of classical music to really revel in his nationality and 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 put you know his national flavor into his music and be polish you know what i mean like yeah. uh, be proud of being polish and be you know infuse polish music and polish culture and the polish spirit into his music and uh, that spawned like the whole um movement of nationalism in classical music that was really huge, you know, in the late 19th century and early 20th century when you had uh, composers in, you know, like in France, like Debussy and Ravel um, 
making music that was very French. And you had composers in, in Russia, like Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov and Mussorgsky and later Stravinsky and, and people like this that were making music that was very, very Russian and and so on, you know. Um, you know, you know Manuel de Falla in Spain producing music that was very Spanish, etc. So, um, yeah, Chopin was one of the first to really do this. Um and uh it just gave his music a whole new flavor and and uh a whole new um i don't know kind of the people of paris i think probably thought his music was very exotic you know? mm. um yeah yeah and I, I mean that to me when you say that i mean not only just his 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 literal style of, of how he played but just his his passion for like you said being polish you know, made him, you know, just a, an awesome, you know, inspire, innovator, if you would, in 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 a number of ways. I'm I'm seeing that now. And I mean, um, I mean, after sitting and listening, you know, to a, a lot of his music over the last couple of weeks, I mean, I, I'm just amazed that he. First of all, he was he was so young. I mean, to to have done so much. <clears throat> I mean that. That that's one thing that really amazes me about about him as a whole. I mean, he was he was just like this supernova of talent where, you know, he had so much that he was doing at, at the age where he was, which I mean, for him may not have been that big a deal, but I mean, you know, I, at the time I, I don't I don't imagine that there were very many composers quite like him. Uh <laughs> right, that, right. That that had that kind of talent, that kind of innovation. Where I mean, you 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 had all sorts of things going on, you know, with his music. I mean, you know, just some some really beautiful and 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 quiet and and elegant stuff, and then some things that were really busy and 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 chaotic, but but never really you know off the edge. I mean. He seemed to, to take the parameters of, of what was considered, you know, right for music and would just totally stretch them, you know, in a way that that he felt comfortable with, you know, and I mean, I'm 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 impressed. You know, I mean, I, I don't listen to a lot of classical music and I wasn't really that familiar with him. But what I've heard so far, I, I'm I'm amazed at at the output that he was able to you know come up with especially you know right, right in the short time that he was here yeah definitely um <clears throat> this first album that we're going to talk about the the ballads and scherzos uh they're recorded by pianist arthur rubinstein and rubinstein uh i should just talk about him a little bit because he was a major figure uh, in 20th century many people think he was the greatest pianist of the 20th century um and he was an artist that came up along, you know, during the same time in the like sort of early 20th century, in the very, the early days when the recording industry was just getting started. Um, he was one of these figures that became giant figures in classical music, alongside a, you know, like a couple of people that we've already talked about, like uh, Pablo Casals, the cellist, and Enrico Caruso the the opera singer you know these are people that started recording this music during the very early days of recording and they ended up 
you know, making like definitive recordings of all this music because one reason was that it had never been recorded before. And uh, Rubinstein was one of these people, himself being Polish, um, was one of these people that really presented Chopin and, and almost all of Chopin's work to the world, you know, so the whole world could hear it. Mm-hmm. and recorded basically everything that Chopin ever wrote, um, I think, oh. uh, like probably multiple times throughout his life. Uh, Rubinstein had a extremely long career. He performed in front of audiences for eight decades. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's a, it's a long time. That's a long time, dude, to have a performing career uh of 80 that spans 80 years that's that's amazing um and uh many people think that arthur rubinstein is you know the greatest interpreter of chopin's music you know all this stuff is is subjective you know but he's you know suffice to say he's one of the the greatest performers of chopin's music mm-hmm. ever um and uh he, you know, we have this collection of uh, Chopin's ballads and scherzos. Uh, we're going to start off by listening to uh, one of Chopin's ballads. This is ballad number two in F, opus 38. Um, this piece, to me, really represents what Chopin was all about in a nutshell. I mean, uh, it starts off, it's kind of a nice piece sort of a chorale like piece you know kind of kind of peaceful music uh, very nice beautiful music um then about two-thirds of the way through all of a sudden it just breaks out into this incredibly virtuosic uh minor mode music that's just sort of running all over the piano it's really unexpected That's a good way to put it. I like that running all over the piano. I like that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, I think this is a trait that he had instilled, but I think this is a trait that came uh, from Beethoven, too. It's, you know, in Chopin's music, I think he loved to subvert expectation, and that's what uh, Beethoven loved to do. They they basically both loved to... um, basically shoot the finger at the audience i mean that's basically what it was um and you know when you're an audience goer of this time and you go to hear chopin play at you know uh, someone's apartment or whatever uh and you went to hear a ballad or a scherzo or one of these pieces uh there were certain expectations that the listener knew you know what to listen for and when uh chopin would set up a certain harmonic uh, progression or come to a you know the end which we call a cadence he would set up a cadence or whatever and the the audience would expect okay like we're in f now we're cadencing in this key he's going to this key whatever but instead of doing that he would subvert their expectation and he would just do something totally unexpected like this where we'd have this beautiful music going on this peaceful music and all of a sudden he'd like punch you in the face with this whoa what the hell just happened what's going on you know <laughs> like all of a sudden is he's going nuts on the piano and uh uh yeah i mean it just must have been you know totally unexpected total surprise a shock 
you know, in the music. Um, and, and then I have to say, man, and I'll try to get this in the excerpts that we play, his transition back, like, from the the really busy, you know, minor mode music, you know, virtuosic music, the, the transition back to the chorale music is just, dude, it's just awesome. It's just so elegant and, and almost really quick the way he ends up back into this music that you think, well, these two musics are like, they're totally unrelated. How is he going to get from this to this? But it's just really masterful how he gets back into the original music. Yeah. yeah. What did, what did again, you think of this one? I, again, like I said, he seemed to be someone who wanted to stretch the, the parameters of what most people consider to be regular for, for music. And I mean, that's what I hear in this piece where it's it's sort of an, an adventure, especially if you're someone who was, I guess, tired of hearing the same thing. And I'm, I'm sure that had to have come up where not the entire audience was just sitting aghast thinking, you know, you know, this is terrible. I'm never going to, you know, sit in front of this guy and watch him play again. I'm sure was, there were some people out there that were just ready for change. You know, they were ready for something, you know, adventurous or different, even if they may not have shown it, you know, publicly, you know, deep down inside, I'm sure there were, there were some people in the audience that wanted something more. And, and he himself probably thought that same thing where it was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do, you know, what everybody else is doing. And, and I mean, he, the, the guy obviously had such great, you know, composition skill as well as, you know, talent to, to put it, you know, into an arrangement. I mean, but just like you said, the, the transition between, you know, sections and, and the way he makes it work. I mean, that that's that to me is like the one thing that's really, really impressive is when you can you can blend, you know, sections of music that don't seem to really go together and make them work. You know, I mean, that that to me is very, very impressive you know, then and now in music, you know, when people yeah, yeah. can do that and, and make it genuine and make it fresh, you know, and uh, and blow your mind, <laughs> for lack of a better way yeah, of saying yeah, yeah. it. You know, I, I mean, that that's my thing. If I listen to the music that, that really blows my mind, where I'm like, you know, what were they thinking when they sat to, to, to write this, to play this, you know, and then and then, like you said, to have someone you know, in this era, like Rubenstein, to go through and play it the way it's meant to be played, you know, just just wonderful. You know, I and again, I, I I am not a fan of classical music, you know, but I, I I like good music no matter what kind of music it is. I like innovation, you know. I like it when when somebody, like I said, when somebody can blow my mind. And this music is it's mind blowing yeah. to listen to yeah. this guy sit and hammer out. You know the like the book says you know the music behind the music i mean the the music that we don't normally think would come alive from you know the traditional way of writing music on paper you know the the, the music behind the music is what is what i hear here it, it's it's so impressive it's so like i wouldn't have thought of that you know many people most people wouldn't have thought of that you know yeah yeah yeah, I love that. I think that's perfect. What you said, blow, uh, blowing 
minds or <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that's what I think I think you're right I think you're totally right I think that's what Chopin wanted to do I think he wanted to blow their minds basically so um, yeah let's check out this first track uh, from Arthur Rubinstein playing the music of Frederick Chopin his ballade number two in F opus 38 And we just heard Ballade Number no. Two in F, Opus Thirty Eight. We're going to move on to one of Chopin's scherzos, his uh, Scherzo Number no. One in B Minor, Opus Twenty. And Chopin was one of the first. I will. I think he was the first classical musician to start writing scherzos as like standalone pieces. So before this, a scherzo was always part of either a piano sonata or a piano concerto, let's say, um, that would have been the most lively, the most free, and usually the most virtuosic part of the the piece as a whole. Um, And so, you know, Beethoven wrote mini scherzos, but they're always part of larger pieces. Chopin was the first one to just write a scherzo, like a standalone piece that's a scherzo. Hmm. Um, scherzo actually means the literal translation. It's Italian. It means joke. Um, okay. That's, I was kind of wondering. I, I mean, I just kind of sit and think, okay, I, I know I'm not the only one. What What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It means, it means joke. So uh, it has this spirit, this free, um, mischievous, spirit okay piece um that's that's the sort of uh 
you know, overall mood that uh, that we're going for here. And, uh, you know, like many scherzos, you know, this, this piece is really virtuosic. Um, it kind of reminds me of the third movement of uh, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. It has that, that same kind of vibe to it. Um, but, you know, it's undoubtedly Chopin. Uh, and, you know, the interesting thing about this piece to listen for is how Chopin takes this main idea that you hear at the very beginning, this statement, and just the journey that he takes it on. And this is the big, big, one of the big, big differences between classical music and our popular music is this sense of development of how classical composers can take these sometimes very basic ideas, very basic musical statements, and then just take them and run them through all sorts of different key variations and permutations and stretch them and compress them and turn them upside down and throw them into different modes and all this kind of stuff and take these ideas on these incredible journeys um, mm-hmm. through all these different things. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what did you think of this scherzo? Well, when you, when, when you, what you just said about, you know, the, the experimentation or the, the, the changing elements of, of how, you know, he, he could take a piece like this and, and just kind of, you know, do different things that maybe had never been done before. I, so much of that, yeah, is lacking in, in a lot of music nowadays. Maybe maybe jazz is is one thing that I could think of where you could find so such an innovation where you know people can just take the normal structure of of whatever it is you're you're used to hearing and just totally flip it upside down. You know, if you would at times, uh, and and certain people are are still kind of doing certain things like that and and I I like the idea of where somebody just has I mean an enormous amount of talent and they're ready to do things that are you know different and 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 kind of you know you know see what can come from you know experimenting or 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 innovating with their own you know mindset so to speak and, and influences maybe from here and there and uh, you know and just run with it you know and I mean that that's that must be really really <laughs> a great luxury to have I mean when you when you're so in tune to an instrument like a piano where you can just run along the keys like he does on this piece and and just make it seem just so natural you know but you know when you listen to it especially probably for the time it really wasn't i mean to to have somebody i mean this this guy was i mean he was a ferocious talent i mean to to hear the way you know he he hits the keys i mean the the, the rapid fire method of his playing at times where it it's it's not like just some like a little kid banging on the piano this this is something very precise but but very you know unorthodox I guess if you would um, yeah and I, I mean that's that's what I'm taking from this I mean you know I, I I'm, I'm, I'm so really you know shocked at how you know this this book can reveal things you know in music that you know 
I feel like I probably should have been listening to this, you know, from day one, <laughs> you know, and, it, and it, I'm glad to, to have discovered it, you know, you know, much, much later. But I'm sure that there are there were people who, you know, before their their children were born and, and they were, you know, in the womb, they they probably had Chopin, you know, rocking to their you know, unborn children. I, I, I'd almost <laughs> guarantee you because it, his his talent is that influential. You know, where I, it would even, you know, you know, move babes that haven't been born yet. You know, <laughs> that that's how good it is to me. Damn, that's high praise. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, the guy was ama- He was amazing. You know, yeah. and in, and like I said, going back to Rubenstein again, listening to him interpret it. You know, as 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 great as he was. Is just as fun, you know, because you yeah. feel like you're you're right there with Chopin, you know, as he meant this to be presented, you know. Yeah, 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 man. Um, yeah, a couple things musically that I just dug about this particular one. This is kind of like uh, um, in form. It's kind of the opposite of the ballad. The ballad was like started with this nice, beautiful music, and then broke into this uh, tumultuous virtuoso music. This one starts tumultuous and virtuosic and then in the middle it breaks into a beautiful section like like it changes to major mode and uh one thing i thought was really cool in a lot of 19th century music you get this melody and accompaniment texture where you have this sort of singing melody on top with an accompaniment in in the left hand you know below it this is i thought was cool because it's a melody and accompaniment sort of scheme but you have the melody in the middle of the texture, kind of like if like a group of tenors were singing the melody, and you have the accompaniment on the bottom and on top. So you have it sort of surrounding, you know, this singing line that's in the middle of the texture, hmm. which I thought was really great, really beautiful and cool. Um, yeah, so let's, let's check this out. This uh, second piece from Arthur Rubinstein, performing Chopin Scherzo number one in B minor opus 20.
And that was Scherzo number one in B minor, opus 20. And we're going to move on to our second album of Frederick Chopin, his piano concertos one and two, performed by Christian Zimmerman uh, and the Polish Festival Orchestra, released in 1999. Christian Zimmerman being the piano soloist and the conductor. So this would have been uh, a practice that was very common in uh, the 18th and 19th century where you would have the piano soloist leading the orchestra from the piano without a sort of conductor as as we would think of a conductor you know like a like a dude who just stands there and conducts um yeah we know which is uh, very cool and i think is is receiving a revival now there are more pianists that are doing uh concertos this way you know of leading the orchestra you know from the piano um and this is what christian zimmerman is doing here uh yeah we're gonna focus on piano concerto number two in f minor which was actually piano concerto number one so i guess what happened was uh when these pieces were published they published this piano concerto second and so they called it piano concerto number two but it was actually written first uh, when uh, in 1830 when uh, Chopin was about 20 years old uh, and he wrote these piano concertos as many piano vir- you know wannabe piano virtuosos in the 19th century did it like Beethoven and like Liszt and others uh, who wrote these piano concertos early in their careers so they could go and play them with these orchestras in front of audiences and say, Hey, look what I can do. I'm a force to be reckoned with, you know? Yeah. They, they, they were vehicles almost, you know, um, uh, to try to establish themselves, you know, as great talents, um, not just compositionally, but as pianists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. O- overall, what did you think of these pieces? Um, very very impressive very beautiful um elegant um i mean the these were i mean because the 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 previous group of recordings i mean they were they were very very impressive but i like i think i like these even more i mean i i got distracted one day where i I started kind of listening to you know the two selections that we're going to talk about but wound up listening to the whole record, which, you know, the last time that happened, I think was with the Clifton Chenier record, where it was just, it was hard to stop listening to it. And I mean, this record is like that, where it was, it was very hard to stop listening to it. I mean, I, I literally was sitting going, man, this is really amazing. I mean, just the, the arrangements and how, like I said, how, how well, how well played, how well recorded they were i mean i mean it's just yeah i yeah. I, I, I hate to say it this is like one of those terms i i mean i put out there with classical music it, it's like classical music for people who really don't like classical music you know where it's in a sense it's it's somewhat poppy but but still it's it's so beautiful and so elegant and so well written i mean it's it's irresistible in a sense to where if you try to like, I don't like classical music. No, you're gonna like this. You know, I almost guarantee you. I mean, it's, it was, it was that good to me. You know, 
And I, again, like I said, I, that's one of those terms that I, I mean, you you probably remember that it was like a series of recordings of classical music for people who hate classical music. And I mean, it was right. all it was usually like the basic stuff of, of classical music. But this is not that. I mean, this is this is so much better. I mean, I mean that stuff is good. I mean, it's good to cut your teeth on, but but to me, this is. I mean, like I said, it's it's the it's the epitome of elegance in classical music, where it, it's it's so lush and and nice and, I mean, like I said, just mind mind blowing. Like I said about some of the other stuff. I mean, and I, and I I'm you know kind of you know you know focusing now on on Zimmerman, and and how you know like you said he's he's the the pianist and the composer. Conductor. You know, oh, I'm sorry, conductor. <laughs> you know, not not composer. I, the conductor. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I can see how, you know, in a sense to where where he wanted people to kind of focus more on what he was about by being, you know, in those two positions. I guess you would say, you know, to to say, look, I'm 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 the I'm one of the best, and this is why. You know. Right. Right. Yeah, and I mean that's this is what Chopin would have done when he premiered these pieces. This is what Beethoven did. It's what Liszt did. It's even what Mozart did and Bach did, and all these people um, was they would you know lead the uh, orchestra from the keyboard. Um, so yeah, um, we're gonna uh, like I said, listen to Piano Concerto Number Two in F Minor, and we're gonna listen to these second and third movements. Um, so we're going to start with the second movement marked Larghetto. Um, and this is said to have been inspired by Chopin's love for a young singer uh, named Constancia Gladowska that, uh, you know, he was in school with when he mm. was, you know, a young man. Um, she was, a, you know, a singer. Uh, it's very inspired, I think, this piece and informed by... Uh, opera of the time, the, the sort of lyrical bel canto Italian opera that was that was really popular at the time, um, and a lot of people criticized Chopin and this music, like his orchestration, because they felt that the part for the orchestra was not developed enough. They felt that, you know, the the keyboard part was like really dominating and the part for the orchestra was just very simple and like an accompaniment or whatever. And they sort of uh, criticized him for it. Even people of the time, composers of the time, like Hector Berlioz, who was a master orchestrator, uh, really criticized these pieces. He thought, you know, the orchestration was simple and and just not interesting. And but I I don't know. I, I totally disagree. I think that Chopin was so focused on piano. And, and I have to say that every piece of music that Chopin wrote was for piano. And even, mm-hmm. even the pieces that he wrote that had orchestra or other instruments involved, everything had piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I really like Chopin's orchestration here. I mean, it's like, uh, it really is very, very piano centric, but the way he orchestrates, the way he treats the orchestra is like, it's almost like an amplification of the beautiful resonance of the piano that sort of resonates in waves throughout the orchestra. I, I really like the orchestration. Um, yeah, I don't. What, what did you think of this one? 
Well, again, you know, going back to kind of what I was talking about, the the, the nature of, 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 of how, first of all, how, how to me, how, how elegant the way it sounds. And again, you, you go back to the, the, the talk of, of how the, the orchestra is kind of, you know, I, I guess downplayed or it's, it's not as emphasized as a piano, but it, it, it doesn't even matter. I mean, the, the, the sound of, of what's going on, I mean, I, I didn't even take it as that. I mean, the, the accents of, of what I hear between the orchestra and, and, the, and the piano, which, like you said, is up front, I mean, it just works for me. You know, I mean, just really, really, really pretty, really just nice. It's, it's, it's just like floating on air, you know, um, when I listen to it. I mean, just, and I mean, it's, it, to me, it seems like he was maybe trying to, I mean, from what you, what you talked about, maybe trying to tap into an, an audience that, you know, for some reason or another, people really didn't think existed, um, you know, when it came to classical music or, or, or you know, concert type music uh, in this sense. Um, and I, I think maybe he was just, he was just ready to, to go after that audience, you know, whether they were ready or not, you know, if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really impressed. I mean, just, just very, very nice, quiet, romantic, elegant. You know, I, I, I I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think you, you know, you can really hear that um, young longing. I guess you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in this music, uh, I think that's one thing is Chopin, uh, his emotional state, his, his emotional being, I guess, was always just right there in his music. It's just, it's just out for everybody to see. And I think he really was able to, you know, translate that into music. I mean, almost better than anybody else. Um, you can feel it. I mean, you really can, you know, when you just listen to it and that's a, that's a gift to be able to do, you know? Um, so let's listen to this movement from uh, his piano concerto number two in F minor, the second movement, Larghetto. Thank you. 
And that was the second movement, Larghetto. We're going to move on to the third and last movement of this concerto, Allegro Vivace, which means kind of fast and lively, I guess. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, again, you know, the orchestration of the orchestra part, you know, it just it just grows organically out of what the piano is doing. You know, what the piano is doing is sort of echoed throughout the orchestra and it sort of reinforces the piano's beauty and resonance. Um, but the piano is just absolutely central here. I mean, before this, when you would hear uh, a concerto, like a piano concerto of Mozart or Beethoven or, or uh, anything like that, or any other, any kind of concerto, not necessarily for piano, is always a sort of push and pull, give and take between the soloist and the orchestra. And here it's just so piano centric. All I mean, everything just revolves around this piano. Everything, um, you know, the piece, as you would expect, just like super virtuosic. You know, this is where he comes out of this larghetto, this beautiful, uh, tender music, and then he just like shows the audience, okay, shit just got real. It's on. <laughs> yeah. This is what I can do, <laughs> you know, and you're just, it's just an absolute um, taking to the limit of what he can do and, and just showing people this is what I can do um, as a pianist and as a composer. Uh, just sit back and watch and, and yeah. get your mind blown, I guess, as we yeah. come back to that, you know? Yeah, and, 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 that's, and that's really the, the, the thing that, that should have been done with someone who could take the piano to the levels that he did, you know, I mean, because otherwise it would get kind of drowned out and everything else, you know? And I mean, that's, that's the great thing about the focus on the piano here is like, Hey, you know, this guy, he's, he's going to make the piano talk to you like nobody else, you know? Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's what really I think was necessary, you know, in a sense to where, you know, if, if you didn't have that talent, it wouldn't seem necessary. But the guy obviously was was a major talent when it came to to playing piano and then, you know, inspired the people who came, you know, much, much later who had, you know, the same gift, you know, or, or the same vision to go ahead and, and pursue it by showing, you know, what they could do with a guy who had raised the bar so high when it came to, you know, making the piano as beautiful as this so to speak right right yeah yeah i mean and i have to say something about the performance too by christian zimmerman and the polish festival orchestra these are all polish musicians christian mm. is polish the orchestra is polish and they're playing music by one of the greatest heroes of poland even mm. to this day and uh you know this hero of poland that not only you know like we've been saying was such an amazing composer and musician, what, but so identified himself as Polish and put so much of Poland in his music. And so I think there's just a, an extra level of, of vitality and, and, and pride in this music by these, you know, being played by these Polish musicians. Um, yeah. I, yeah. yeah you, you, there must be, I mean, I mean, just to have someone who's, from your homeland 
you know, a homeland that's obviously been through, you know, lots. I mean, you know, the, the stories of Poland and, and its history, you know, just a rich history. I mean, to have someone represent you in that way to be one of the best ever, you know, if not the best ever, I mean, arguably, I mean, that's, I, I would, I would play my heart out. You know, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, you know, yeah, let's, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. If, if you're Polish musicians and you're going to play the Polish composer in Poland for a Polish audience, you better bring it. That's, oh, yeah. you know, I would assume you better bring it, you know, or, or, and, and they do. So let's, let's check this out. Um, the uh, last excerpt from Chopin's Piano Concerto Number no. Two in F Minor from the Third Movement, Allegro Vivace. just heard the third movement allegro vivace and we're gonna move on to our third album of chopin's music his nocturnes performed by portuguese pianist maria perez uh this was released in 1995 and uh the nocturne was something that was not invented by chopin um the, the piano nocturne was actually invented by an irish composer john field um, who greatly influenced Chopin. Um, and John Field has some, some great music, you know. John Field was a little bit older than Chopin. Um, another composer that was, he was a pianist and, and wrote almost exclusively for piano. Um, and a lot of people sort of, I think, look over John Field. But John Field had some great music. He's one of those few people, I mean, from Ireland, you know, really not many from this time that we remember from from Ireland you know classical musicians but um, John Field uh, was the originator of this piano nocturne and uh, yeah like I said greatly influenced Chopin 
And Chopin really took this idea of a piano nocturne to just another level, really. Mm. Um, so we're going to start with this nocturne number seven in C sharp minor, opus 27, number one. Um, I just had a thought. Have I ever explained opus? If you what had, that let's, means? Let's, let's, let's have a refresher. So, yeah, in a lot of these classical pieces, we, we get these opus numbers. Opus basically is like, um, in Chopin, this is the title that Chopin gave his own piece, you know. Um, opus is like a collection of music that's being done in a specific time. You can almost think like, like analogous like to someone puts out an album right now. And so somebody's album, this is what we're doing right now. This is This is what we're into doing right now. Mm-hmm. And so this is... Chopin's 27th opus this collection of pieces and then this one is the first one in that opus so it's so uh so it's nocturne number seven so we have this collection of nocturne this is the seventh nocturne right mm-hmm. in his 27th opus and this is the first group of pieces in that opus <laughs> does that make sense okay a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah so you know you can kind of kind of get a little chronological um sense you know this is his 27th group of pieces so you know it's not an early piece um you know it's you know one of his uh sort of mid period i guess um collection of pieces so in any way i don't know if that makes it more confusing or or what but that's what well, opus I, is. I think i think i kind of get it better than what you know before you start i mean you know it's just you, you you get this sense that there's a series of of recordings going on and, and you if you if you're keeping up with it i mean you know from the beginning you kind of get a, a line on what what's going on but i i think i i think i i got it let's yeah let's keep going yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so anyway this nocturne number seven in c sharp minor um you know uh the the things that really stood out to me were uh the texture of this piece is very thick. So it's almost like uh, having something that's, you know, really transparent and you can, you can clearly see where everything is or hear where everything is, you know, Um, you know, it's like, you know, on, on one end, you know, seeing a scene on something on a just beautifully clear day, you know, perfect weather, you know, you can see for miles and miles. This is like, being on you know like a fog ridden uh street at night you know with everything's damp and and dank and dark and it's hard to see things and um <laughs> i don't know does that does that make sense at all yeah uh, I, I i i agree i mean to me there there's a it it it's it's really heavy and dramatic and and mysterious even at times where it it just kind of has a lurking mood about it. And I mean, you know, music for the night, if you would. Um, and I mean, you, you think that, you know, just depending on the situation, you know, do you want to enhance the the mood of the night or do you want to, you know, put a damper on it? I mean, just, it just, like I said, it just depends on what you're going through. I mean, but if, you know, you, you're, you're willing to enhance what's going on in, in the darkness of the night, you know, I, I'd say that this is just right up your alley. Um, 
and like I said, that some of it is is it has this, this that sense of elegance and 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 beauty still, but just on a darker, you know, sort of moodier, much moodier sense, um, you know. And I mean, it's it's just very grand. I mean, the 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 sound of the piano obviously is always there, you know, but. And in this sense, like I said, for me, it's 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 so it's so moody. It's so Mark Allman would love this. I mean, Mark Allman, like soft cell Mark Allman, who apparently is like a a lover of all things dark. I mean, to me, it seems like this is just one of those records that he probably has on his iPod. Who? You know, Mark Allman. I mean, uh, he's a singer from this group called Soft Cell. Uh, and he I don't know if you ever heard of the song Tainted Love. Um it was kind of like a, a hit, like in the early '80s. Um, they, it was like a remake. Oh, of a, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah, no. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Because it, it, it was a really, I mean, it was a really synthesized version of of Tainted Love. I mean, like an old, like you know, '50s kind of rock tune, um, or or even soul tune at this point. I, I think. But anyway, Mark Allman, he's like one of those things that lovers of all dark. Anyway, he he would probably love this record. I mean, you know, it just seems like it's. It's right up his alley, you know. Um, but maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You just brought me to like a whole place I wasn't expecting, and and that was like, um, I think that was very appropriate for this piece because that's exactly what Chopin does. He uh, in this piece, that was the big thing that I latched onto in this piece. I thought was great was that in this piece more. I think more in this piece than any of the others that we were listening to. Um, Chopin just the whole point of this piece is he keeps setting up these expectations and never ever brings you to that place that he's he's setting you up for Hmm. you know it's just constant through the whole piece even like three quarters of the way through when he's coming up to the big climax and it comes up to this big big climax cadential moment you think okay finally he's gonna go where he's you know, leading you to, and then he just doesn't, he doesn't go there. He just starts going everywhere, but the place that he's setting you up to go. And it's just the whole piece is like that. And I think it, um, it creates this air of like unfulfilled longing and, uh, you know, just, just, yeah. Yeah. I, the, the torch is right there, but I just can't grab it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's I think this the the whole this whole thing. And I have to stress, you know, um, we can only play excerpts on this show. You know, I can only play a little part of this. But you know, you really need to listen to these things from beginning to end to really get the whole sense of this journey and and how this whole thing unfolds. You know. Um, but anyway, let's listen to this excerpt from his Nocturne Number no. Seven in C Sharp Minor, Opus Twenty Seven, Number One.
And we just heard his nocturne number seven, and we're gonna move on to his nocturne number 12 in G major, opus 37, number two. Um, this one for me was very evocative, a sort of narrative. It's almost like, you know, the whole thing tells this sort of whole torrid story, kind of like a novel or epic poem, but in music, you know, but it's so easy to uh, listen to this piece unfold and, you know, in your mind be creating this this story to go along with it. You know, very, like I said, very torrid and uh, and dramatic, you know, almost like a, I hate to, to use this term, but almost like a soap opera, <laughs> you know. Um, well, that that's probably not very far away from... <laughs> from true i mean and it's, and it's not because of anything chopin did you know i mean it's the people that came much you know later <laughs> you know yeah yeah but yeah i, I would agree with you just it, it's 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 almost like a it, again going back to the whole the moody nature of a lot of this music and 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 how dramatic it sounds and i mean this this to me does not sound as dark as as, as the first piece but still is 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 very moody nonetheless and and it kind of goes along the same lines of, you know, keeping you, you know, on the edge of your seat, almost wanting, you know, to, you know, the the sense of direction, like you said, to to go in one way and 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 you know, it goes another, so to speak. Uh, just uh, you know, and again, the the the, the piano, just just really really wonderful the way it sounds the 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 nature of how beautiful this lady plays i mean you know it's 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 hard not to like it i mean you know just i mean you could you know kind of put it you know for some people just in the background and just let it go and then for others you know it'd be just great to have this to, to kind of have to set the mood so to speak um yeah yeah and i mean obviously you know night music you know it this is perfect you know this this would be just really really nice you know and, and especially if it's one of those nights where you can't sleep you know right i mean i right. i i think that you know pretty much everybody's kind of gone through that where for whatever reason you're up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep you know well this is a good record to obviously throw on and that's probably it was sold it's sole intention you know to 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 get you through the night you know, hopefully in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, all right, let's listen to it, man. This is our last track from Frederick Chopin. This is his Nocturne number 12 in G major, opus 37, number two. Thank you. 
And we just heard Nocturne number 12 of Chopin. And we're going to move on to our last album of the week. Uh, jazz guitarist Charlie Christian, the compilation album called The Genius of Electric Guitar, released in 2002. Well, this is a collection of recordings that were made between 1939 and 1941 when uh, Charlie Christian was with Benny Goodman and his orchestra. Um, this is another example of a, an artist that uh, like a, a genius level artist, a groundbreaking artist that produced and uh, recorded a lot of music and left the world at a very young age. Um, he was very only, young. He was only 25 years old when he died, um, again, of tuberculosis. So yeah. uh, just like Chopin, Chopin died. He lived longer. Chopin died in uh, age 39 of tuberculosis. Here again, Charlie Christian. 25 years old died of tuberculosis um yeah um just a little background of charlie christian he was born in bonham texas which uh we're both from texas i had no idea where that was well well, that's something i wanted to get to i mean the the thing like i said the, the the good thing about this book is that it's it's so revealing on things that we don't know as quote unquote music lovers i mean this is a guy that i feel almost ashamed that I, I didn't know who he was. I mean, he's a he's a Hall of Famer. First of all, he's from Texas, and and he's one of the great jazz, you know, as far as what you would call swing or I hate to say smooth jazz, but I mean, you know, smooth jazz guitarist that you know really kind of started a whole genre of music that still is going on today. And I mean, I'd never heard of him until I cracked this book open, you know, and I was like, where have I been? <laughs> you know, I mean, just like you said, um, you know, I, I hadn't heard of, I, I had no idea. And I mean, play with, you know, the king of big band, you know, for, for ages, apparently before he passed away. I mean, he started so young, but but died so young and and made so many you know recordings in a sense i mean he must have had this this really disciplined work ethic i mean where he just was like let's let's just stay in the studio you know no matter what right 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 yeah well i mean i know in those early days you know this is benny goodman's orchestra this is one of the 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 top jazz big bands of the time this is the early days of recording, and I think uh, groups like this just pumped out recordings. I mean, just yeah. recording after recording. And it was a good thing because we end up with, we have uh, quite a bit of stuff from Charlie Christian, you know, and they, they did in such a short amount of time. It's amazing. But, um, but yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I didn't know he was from Texas. I certainly had, I knew of Charlie Christian before the book, um, as a guitar player, and I knew his importance, you know, I knew his influence on on uh, uh, the electric guitar, and I had heard, you know, Charlie Christian before, but I didn't, I did not realize that he died at such a young age. I did not know he was from Texas. He actually grew up in Oklahoma City, but he was born in, like we said, Bonham, Texas, which is North Texas. I looked at it on the map, and it's like uh, north of Dallas, almost to the border of Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, you know, he was, uh, you know, a, a, a prodigy, you know, from a young age, 
Um, his family, you know, had a tough time and I know they, to make ends meet, they would busk, you know, as buskers around Oklahoma city. Um, and, uh, I think just that experience would do a lot, you know, for Charlie Christian that he's basically performing in public every day, you yeah. know, essentially throughout his childhood. Um, and, uh, you know, he eventually made his way to New York and auditioned for Benny Goodman. And I, I from what I read, his initial audition didn't go well. Uh-huh. Um, he didn't like what he had done. And uh, someone other than Benny Goodman uh, put him on the bandstand. And Benny Goodman was like, you know, uh, apparently not happy about this guitarist being put up on the bandstand with him who he had heard earlier and didn't like you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so basically he called this uh from what i read he called this obscure tune that he was sure that charlie christian wouldn't know and that basically he would fall on his face and he could just get rid of this guy you know mm-hmm. but uh charlie christian apparently like knew this tune like really well had been playing it for years and they played this tune and it went on for like 40 minutes wow. and Charlie Christian just tore it up. And then from that moment on, he was in Goodman's band. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and not only that, but uh, Goodman had like a smaller group, like a sextet um, that he made out of like his finest musicians out of his orchestra and made Charlie Christian part of this sextet which we're going to hear um, the second, the second uh, song that we're going to listen to is this sextet. But the first one we're going to listen to is uh, Charlie Christian and the whole Benny Goodman orchestra. Uh, this piece is called solo flight. And uh, you can really hear Charlie's distinctive style of playing on the guitar. A lot of people say, you know, he was like the original bebop player, or a precursor to bebop. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, I mean, you can hear that in the guitar. I think, you know, bebop was so characterized uh, by Charlie Parker. And what Charlie Parker did was uh, he his playing was, you know, instead of playing like single melodic lines like a lot of guys were doing here, what, what uh, Charlie Parker did was he started to play the chords, but on his saxophone. So like single lines at a time, he'd run up and down. Uh, the harmonies, the chords, like really fast. Mm-hmm. And um, guitar is such a harmonic instrument. I think that it, it lent, you know, just playing the guitar, it's it's easy to do that on guitar, you know, because you're playing chords already. And so you can sort of go over the chords, you know, and, and use that. I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's the impetus of, you know, saying he was a precursor to, to bebop. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about solo flight? Well, it's 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 probably correct in you saying that. I mean, just the the way he could just take a note and and kind of you know you know ring it into your head, you know, just he, the the harmony of what he brought to guitar. I mean, it was it was so easy to appreciate. I think, and it, and it stood out. You know, and I think that's that's the one thing he had a playing style that just it just stood out from everybody else for the time. And I mean, it was so influential in a sense to where, like I said, it was 
it was easy to appreciate, but nobody was really doing that before, which that in a sense to me is the hardest thing to understand is that, you know, he he had a style that everybody pretty much, you know, has now. <laughs> you know? Right, right. And and I mean when you listen to it, it's hard to imagine that, you know, people didn't play like that before him. I mean, that's that's the one thing as as simple as it is, it's it's just really hard for me to grasp that. I mean, you know, I I, I really, you know, to me again, I'm I'm just blown away that I maybe I'd I'd heard his name like, you know, just kind of passed around, but but I know my my focus had never really been on him like it was before we we started talking about him, you know, in in reference to the book and I mean just really remarkable to to hear you know his beginnings especially you know with with some of the older you know big band stuff like this I mean you know really really you know nice you know tone from his guitar I mean just an amazing you know an amazing player to be so young and 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 just kind of out there. I mean, and like you said, to to have had his family, you know, play the way they did, basically to make you know money to eat and live. I, I'm sure. I mean, that had a big big influence on you know what became of him once he hit the stage with you know the big boys. Yeah. And uh, probably never knew you know what was going to come for him. I mean, maybe maybe he he may have you know, suspected. He's like, man, I want to be famous one day, you know, <laughs> maybe he knew, but I mean, I, I, I'd imagine, you know, as a little kid, I, I would never imagine me, you know, playing with Benny Goodman, you know, like being one of his select players, you know, no less. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's hear this first track. Uh, this is solo flight. <laughs> Thank you. 
solo flight and we're gonna move on to the song six appeal get it six <laughs> um so at first i thought you know the six referred to the six strings of the guitar and maybe that's part of it um but also it, it uh, refers to the sextet so this is the smaller sextet that uh benny goodwin put together of his favorite you know best players from his band yeah um, it included you know benny goodman himself obviously and charlie christian uh lionel hampton on vibraphone which is which a is great you, sound you, you really hear that on this yeah, song too yeah. oh yeah uh fletcher henderson on piano Artie bernstein on bass and nick fatul on drums so this was the uh the sextet and uh um you know i really like his solo on this this piece this this particular one is just it has this really laid back vibe you know there's nothing flashy about it and charlie christian's solo on this is it's just like it's just it's very laid back it's not super flashy it's almost it's just just right you know for the the mood of the song and um and it really swings and <laughs> it's just a yeah yeah it's a great solo the the other thing i like just listening to this music not not just this track but the whole thing is benny goodman um that clarinet you know the mm-hmm. the clarinet kind of after this and when bebop came in kind of disappeared like no one was yeah. playing clarinet anymore everybody's playing yeah. saxophone but benny goodman man just he just wails on that clarinet yeah. i just love that sound yeah the, the clarinet is really i mean <laughs> like you said it the way it disappeared, I mean, which, I mean, I guess there's so many different reasons. I mean, it's just one of those instruments. It's like, you know, why are you playing that? You know, it, it seems like it's so not cool. But really, if you have somebody like like Benny Goodman playing it, it really is. I mean, the only person I can think of right now that's like, you know, up and around and, and I consider like really cool that plays clarinet on a regular is Marcus Miller, you know, which that's not really, I, I guess you would say his first instrument. It's, it's mostly like electric bass, but he's an, he's an amazing clarinet player. I mean, just he, I mean, he just can go at it. And I mean, you know, I think the, some of those instruments like the, like the oboe and, and the clarinet, they, they put out such a unique uh, sound, you know, that, that I, I still love, you know, and I've, I've never really been a player of, of either of those instruments, maybe a little clarinet, like probably when I was in in school, grade school. But, you know, nothing like this. I mean, you know, like you said, just the way the way he would go about playing and, and, and his 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 delivery is, is just so unique and so good to to what Benny Goodman brought to the table, you know. But um yeah definitely an an overlooked instrument i think yeah 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 yeah. well i think it proves the adage you know it's like it's i think it's less about the instrument more about the player yeah you know it's what the player can bring i you know last year um i saw a performance by a guy playing one of the most uncool instruments that you could possibly be bassoon (laughs) he played a bassoon concerto and i'm telling you it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. It is something I will never, ever forget. Mm. He, this guy, he's from Estonia. Um, his name is Martin Kuskman, I think. Um, played this instrument. It didn't even sound like a bassoon. It's not like this instrument I've never heard before. It was one of the most, <laughs> it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. 
it, it mm. was it was incredible um and so i think you know that just proves you know that it's it's really it's not really about the instruments it's about the player and what that player can bring you know yeah um yeah yeah um, totally totally agree with you that's that's a that's a great point so just you know put yourself into your instrument if you're if you're a musician out there which you know if you you put enough of yourself into it you know you'll you'll get the right things out of it yeah I, yeah yeah man well let's let's listen to this uh track cool uh this is uh the last track from charlie christian this is six appeal just heard six appeal from charlie christian and benny goodman and that is going to do it for this week's episode of 1000 recordings podcast if you'd like to send us an email you can send one to 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can go to our website at 1000rp.blogspot.com you can join us on twitter at twitter.com slash 1000rp and you can join us on facebook and get into discussions about the music. Um, also, if you get the chance and you would like to go to iTunes and leave us a review and a rating, and we will read that review on the show, and it will help us a lot in uh, our visibility in iTunes and getting uh, out to more listeners. Um, also, if you would like to support the podcast you can go to our website there are different ways you can do that you can use our amazon.com links to buy the cds that we talk about today Uh, you can also donate to the podcast and become a sponsor of the podcast and that's also uh, there on the website for you to do Um, we always (laughs) buy the music we don't download music for free 
Um, we want to support the artists and uh, the record labels and everything else. And so, you know, we would love um, some help in, uh, you know, in those expenses. Um, anything you want to say? <laughs> true, true to add to all you just said. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So next week. Um, what do we have next week? Uh, the Clancy Brothers mm-hmm. and the Dubliners Irish drinking songs. That would have been good for last Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah, we're we're a little we're a couple of weeks late on that one, but yeah, yeah. This that that cover. If you if you see the cover of this record, it is a classic record cover. If I've ever <laughs> seen one, I mean, it's just basically about four or five guys. Looks like they're in a pub, all holding their their glasses up, you know, just kind of like, Rah! I'm like, man, I love that cover, you know? <laughs> so that should be fun. Yeah, definitely. And then, yeah, then we've got another Celtic record right after that, Clannad. Yeah, yeah, um, they uh, definitely uh, kind of had like an Irish, almost even at times, I guess, new age electronic sound in, at moments. They, they've, They've got a lot of stuff going. I think um, they're all like kind of related. If if I remember, maybe like brothers and sisters and um, Inya, wasn't she in Clonad for a minute there? I think you're right. Yeah, um, Inya and her sister Marie Brennan, and but just a, a apparently just you know really 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 talented group of uh, musicians, innovative musicians, had a a unique sound to them, definitely. Cool. Then we get into Guy Clark, a country artist who I'm not familiar with. Yeah. Uh, then Sonny Clark, uh, some uh, some jazz, and then finally London Calling by the Clash. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be that will be fun. So, uh, yeah, that's what we have coming up next week. Um, I don't know any parting words, Mitch, before we go. Um. No, just uh, good to sit back down and talk. Uh, I know the weather's been kind of doing some kooky stuff throughout the U.S., so please be careful, people out there. And, uh, you know, take it easy until we see you next week. Hopefully everything goes well for everyone. Uh, Looking forward to another podcast uh, when we do this again, which I'm not sure when it'll be. Maybe next week, maybe not. Yeah, hopefully next week. But yeah, if you're uh, up north like I am and you're locked down by cold and snow, stay in and listen to some nocturnes. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right, man. Well, I will see you next time. All right, Tony. Take care. Bye, everybody. <laughs>